0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. And once more, uh, my brother Howard Daniels is here to share God's Word with you. So you guys welcome Howard, okay? Good morning, church. I hope you had a great... uh, Thanksgiving time and got plenty of turkey and dressing and pie and everything else that comes with it. And uh, thank you for being here this morning and remember the Lord's Day and keeping it holy. So today is the first day of Advent and we're going to light the candle of hope. So the message this morning is entitled, Because Jesus Hope, Hope, Hope. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We'll be in verses 5 through 25, and then toward the end of the message, we'll look at verses 68 through 79, Because Jesus Hope. I want to thank Trent for the privilege of, being able to share God's word with you this morning. You have a great pastor in Trent Henderson. And I know, like me, you thank the Lord Jesus Christ for Trent and Jenny and for their family. And uh, I pray for uh, their Sunday that they would be able to spend some time with family and uh, rest up a little bit before everything kicks in on Monday morning. So, church, thank you. It's a privilege to be here today. So we want to begin by talking about hope. Hope. Recently, in fact, in the middle of October, my daughter and I did a uh, bucket list hiking trip on the Appalachian Trail. So we hiked four days on the Appalachian Trail. And we always hike the first day usually is the longest hike and the most excruciating hike because we're freshest then. So we hiked 14.73 miles to a hostel along the trail. Now, here's the deal. We had the maps. We studied the elevation. We had a great hike. The leaves were beautiful. But we did not anticipate that the final five to six miles was exceedingly rocky. I'm not talking about a dirt path with pebbles. I'm talking about these gray rocks, one on top of the other. And what that does, it just slows your hiking down. And And so what happened was darkness fell upon us. And we were hiking by headlamp on this incredibly rocky trail. And so you can just imagine the going was very slow and fraught with danger as well. But it was so discouraging. Even though we knew pretty much where we were and uh, how many miles we had been, I mean, in the forest at night, it is incredibly dark, and we are only able to see with our headlamps about five yards ahead, and so you're one step at a time, and it was just discouraging. We had planned to You know, be there in plenty of time for dinner and to be there before dark at the hostel, but it just didn't work out that way. And it would just seem like that our energy and our emotions were drained. We knew we had to come out of the forest and cross a four-lane highway to get to the other side, connect with the trail, and less than a mile, there'd be the hostel. But then there was no signs of traffic, no signs of opening up. We couldn't hear anything and we came up this steep ascent and very rocky. And we came around the corner and I said, wait. And I cocked my ear back. And there, way in the distance, I heard some traffic. And I was like, yeah, man, we're getting close. And so there was hope because we heard faintly, the traffic in the distance. And so we were re-energized and we began to hike a little bit faster and until we ultimately reached the highway, crossed it and got to the hostel. Hope is that way. And some of you may be here this morning and you're hiking on a dark trail of life, the trail of trials and everything seems dark and you can't see light at the end of the tunnel. You can't hear any signs of hope in the distance. And you are wondering, is there hope? And yes, because Jesus, hope. But you can't talk about hope without talking about hopelessness. So I want to begin reading in verses 5 through 7 of Luke chapter 1 as we see hopelessness detail. Verse 5, In the days of Herod, Now, let me just stop right there. We don't want to overlook that first phrase about Herod because there was political hopelessness. Israel was a proud nation. They longed to return to the glory days with David and Solomon. They believed a Messiah would come, and indeed, a Messiah would come. But they had the idea that the Messiah would come and restore them to political prominence in the world scene and they longed for that but for over 400 years they had been oppressed nation after nation had lorded it over israel and and stomped on them they were like a football kicked back and forth on the field uh, between the power plays of egypt and, and syria and there was the great oppression of antiochus And then a brief rise of of a little bit of independence, and then Rome came in with an iron fist and just squelched everything. And under Rome, you had this, this puppet king of Israel, Herod, who was a wicked and oppressing and evil man. And for many in Israel at this time, there was political hopelessness. Now, Many would say in our country today that there's political hopelessness, not because of what's happened this last month or this last year or two years or five years or six years, but for decades. I mean, we've seen the White House change hands. We've seen the Senate and the, the House, and we have voted, and we've had elections for decades and decades. But when you look at the landscape, you think, man, what has really changed And in many ways? We continue to see an eroding of our Judeo-Christian values, and many would say that there is political hopelessness today. But let's funnel it down. It's one thing to talk about hopelessness out here, but we funnel it down to a husband and wife, and we see personal hopelessness. Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children. And the Bible is incredibly clear. It's very blunt. It's very straightforward. It says that Elizabeth was barren. That means she was not able to conceive. And then it adds an exclamation point on there and and says that they were well advanced in years. They were advanced in years, both Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, they weren't the age of Abraham and Sarah because we know that Zechariah was still serving as a priest. And Numbers chapter 4 tells us that a priest cannot serve in active duty once he's over the age of 50. So we know that Zechariah was not over 50 and probably Elizabeth was younger than he was. But they were at a point in their life that, that no one really would expect them at their age to have children. There was personal hopelessness. They were a godly couple. They loved him, but they experienced deep heartache and disappointment, and they didn't understand. You may be here today experiencing the darkness of personal hopelessness. Maybe there's a relationship that you would love to be reconciled, but it just doesn't seem possible. You're listening for sounds. You're looking for a light, but it seems like a dead end. You may be facing a health issue, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed, but nothing changes. You may be praying for a person who is out in the far country, a member of your own family. And you're praying for them to come back to God or to come to Christ, and yet it just seems that there is there are no signs of hope. And you're walking in life, so to speak, in that circumstance, in the dark forest, on the rocky trials trail, and you're sensing an overwhelming hopelessness. So what do we do as followers of Jesus Christ When we find ourselves in circumstances and situations that are uncertain, that don't seem to be changing, there doesn't seem to be any movement, though we pray and pray and pray, it just seems to be hopeless. What do we do? Let's talk about despite hopelessness, despite hopelessness. Now, I want to pick it up in verse 8 and read through verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So let me just stop right there. Despite hopelessness, what do you do? How do you respond as a pastor of a local church for over 30 years and now the last four years working with individual churches, I've seen many people who have, have far too many that, that have served the Lord faithfully over the years, that have been involved in the church, that have given their tithes and offerings, and then a tragedy, a disappointment, a heartache, something enters their world that upsets the apple cart, and they don't understand it, and they wonder why And they and they develop the attitude that, Lord, I've done all these things for you all these years. Now where are you when I need you? It's almost as if they have seen their relationship with God as a bargaining. And they have all these bargaining chips on the table because of all the things they've done for God. Not true, is it? We have no bargaining chips. Our relationship is all by grace, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have seen too many people walk away from the church and walk away from their faith bitter and resentful toward God. But not Zechariah and Elizabeth. No, they set a model example for you and me. Despite hopelessness, despite things seemingly would never change, the fact that they would seemingly never have a child... What do you do when you're in those circumstances? Number one, be righteous. Be righteous. That's what the scripture tells us. It says in verse 6 that both were righteous before God. We're not talking about being self-righteous. We're not talking about a judgment of them being righteous by by their own standards or by somebody else's standards, but they were righteous before God. It was a moral integrity and purity. They were right with God vertically in that vertical relationship and they were right with one another on the horizontal level. And by the way, you can't be right with God vertically unless you're right with people horizontally. I mean, the gospel is all about relationships, isn't it? We are brought into a, a reconciled relationship with Christ through everything he's done for us on the cross through his death, burial and resurrection. We are reconciled to God and therefore, we're to love one another and serve one another. Be righteous, and then remain obedient, even when it's dark, and even when the the, the trial trail is is just uh, fraught with dangers and uncertainty remain obedient. Man, this is just stirs my soul. It says about Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Just incredible, isn't it? We're talking about the scripture, the word of God. They didn't neglect anything. Of course, that presupposes that they they knew it. And so that's why you need a daily reading time. You need to be, you know, reading, you need to be in the word on a regular basis and in a planned way. And then you are to obey and We are to be hearers of the word. Not, uh, we are to be doers of the word. Not hearers only. And Zechariah and Elizabeth remained obedient. They didn't understand. They were heartbroken. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. But they remained obedient. And then third, church. Despite hopelessness, continue serving. Continue serving. Listen. Zechariah was a priest, and what we read here in Scripture is that he, he was in Jerusalem serving as a priest. There were 24 teams of priests in Israel. They served two weeks out of the year, and he was serving. He didn't back away from his service. In fact, verse 23 uh, tells us that, um, "...and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home." He completed his service. He continued to serve God. He could have thrown up his hands and said, Man, I've served as a priest all these years. I I go away from my home, away from my wife, away from where I live. I go to Jerusalem and I serve two weeks out of every year. I've sacrificed and all these things for God. And here you won't even allow us to have a child no more. I'm through. I'm going to throw in the towel. But not Zechariah. And neither should we. Be righteous. Remain obedient. Continue serving. And fourth, don't panic. Don't panic. The angel appeared and Zechariah was not only fearful, fear fell upon him, but he was troubled. And the language there indicates that he was agitated. It's like water being stirred by an agitator. He was more than just afraid. He was in full-on panic mode. I have watched over the years as people in panic, in utter hopelessness, try to take things in their own hands and in their panic, they make decisions that later they regret. But one of the encouraging things about Christmas As we read through the Gospels and the Christmas story over and over again, we hear these encouraging words, do not be afraid and fear not. David said, man, I don't have to be afraid. Well, I don't have to be afraid. I mean, what can man do to me? I mean, worst case scenario, I end up with the Lord in heaven. I have no reason to fear. Don't panic. And then And then finally, church, keep praying. Keep praying. See, the angel's first words to Zechariah were simply this, that that God has heard your prayer for your prayer has been heard. Did that mean that on that very day, after decades and decades of praying, that on that very day that, God, that their prayers had finally worked its way up and on that day that God heard it for the first time? Absolutely not. God heard the prayer the first time they uttered it. But here's the encouraging word to Zechariah, that their, their persistence in prayer, God heard their prayer. And it's encouraging for you and me that we need to keep praying. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says we're to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Jesus told a parable. And Luke prefaced it and gave the punchline, so to speak, in in chapter 18 and verse 1, before the parable was told, and said that Jesus told this parable. It was about the persistent widow so that we would not be discouraged, grow weary in praying, but we would persist in our prayers keep praying. Despite hopelessness, church, be righteous, remain obedient, continue serving, don't panic, and keep praying. Now let's talk about reasons for hope. Let me me read the rest of this passage. I want to begin reading in verse 15, talking about John the Baptist, for he will be great before the Lord. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Reasons for hope. In sports, particularly in a series like baseball playoffs or basketball playoffs, when a team gets down, say two games to one or three games to one, you often hear the coach or one of the players say, hey, we have to keep hope alive. It's just wishful thinking, trying to keep their spirits up. But in life, we do not have the ability to keep hope alive. But here's the good news. You don't have to keep hope alive. Because 1 Peter 1.3 reminds us, church, that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hey, you don't have to work yourself up. You don't have to, you know, pretend on wishful thinking and, and, and try to psych yourself up in any way. It's no game. We have a li- when you know Jesus, you have a living hope because of his resurrection and you have a hope that is beyond this world. Reasons for hope. We see it in this passage. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. I can honestly say but I've not always kept every promise that I've made. And probably the same is true for you as well. Sometimes we make promises and we have good intentions, but the circumstances in life change, and sometimes we're just not able to fulfill those promises. But God keeps his promises. We could go back to the book of Malachi. We go back to chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. It had been 400 years since a prophet had come forth and said, "'Thus saith the Lord.'" 400 years. And we go back to that utterance in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, "'Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the hand with a decree of utter destruction.'" That was God's promise. 400 years or so had passed. But on on that day, God stepped in and he began to move to fulfill his promise that John the Baptist would come and that he would prepare the way for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. God keeps his promises. and We find many promises in the word of God. In, in fact, some of them are just really for Israel, but many of them are for believers. You have to look at the context of Scripture. You have to look at the conditions, and you have to meet the conditions before you can claim the promises. But Second Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes in Him, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. God keeps His promises. And then reasons for hope. God hears and answers prayer. That's a huge takeaway from this passage that this couple had been praying for decades and decades and decades and they persisted in prayer and though it seemed that they would never have a child and they may have felt like their prayers were not getting above the ceiling and yet the angel said, God has heard your prayer and he has answered it. Now, God may answer your prayer, yes. And he may answer your prayer, no. We had our family with us uh, this past week, our son, daughter-in-law, granddaughter, four-year-old granddaughter Haley, our daughter and son-in-law. and yesterday morning, our four-year-old granddaughter was hungry, and so I'd do the early shift. So when she gets up before daylight, granddad gets up. And uh, we'd watched a little TV, and I had fed her some dry Cheerios. Her daddy came out, and uh, she said, "Dad, I'm hungry." I want something to eat. He started going through the options, and she said, can I have ice cream? I mean, it's 7.30 in the morning, and her dad says, no, you can't have ice cream. And she's like, well, well, why not? He says, because it's breakfast, and you don't have ice cream at breakfast. And so he gave her some choices that were more nutritious, you see. He said no because he knew it wasn't in her best interest. And sometimes God answers our prayer differently. He just does, doesn't he? In his grace and power and wisdom, he gives us something better. Because sometimes we don't even have the wisdom to know what to ask for. And sometimes because of his great love, God says, you ask for ice cream, but what you really need, what you really need is a banana. Because you, you need some good fruit and you need to have the potassium in you. God loves us so much. And then sometimes God just says, wait. Wait on the Lord and be patient. Be of good cheer. But God hears and answers prayer, reason for hope. And then God's timing is precise. You know, I'm just not the most patient person in the world. And my timetable and God's timetable are often like this. And... It's just the way it is. And I have to learn to wait on God and learn that God's timing is precise. Let's look at this passage. There were 24 teams of priests that served two weeks out of the year. It was at this time that Zechariah's team was serving in Jerusalem. And somewhere into that two weeks, I don't know what day they were on, Zechariah had... Drawn the lot to offer incense on the altar of incense in the innermost part of the temple, not in the morning, but at the time of prayer at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was right at that time that Gabriel appeared and made the announcement that they would have a son and he would be John the Baptist. An accident? I don't think so. I think it was God's timing. Don't you? God is never early. God is never late. God is always on time. He is the everlasting Father. He is Father time. God's timing is precise. And Galatians 4.4 4 reminds us, but God, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Perfect timing. And then finally, God's Son Jesus, the Messiah, provides hope beyond this life. He provides hope beyond this life. This entire passage really is a prequel to everything that would usher in Jesus Christ. I want to go to the end of this chapter in verses 68 through 79. After the birth of John the Baptist, proud daddy Zechariah as a prophet begins to praise the Lord, and we read his prophetic praise. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant that both that he swore to our father abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the day all of our days and you child Speaking to John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Reasons for hope. God keeps his promises. God hears and answers prayer. God's timing is precise. It's perfect. And God's son, Jesus, the Messiah, provides hope beyond this life. Just, Just look at some of the things. Verse 68, we see redemption. Redemption means to purchase something with a price. And we know that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter wrote... That you've been purchased, not by silver or gold, not by things in this life, not by your works, not by anything you've done, but by the precious blood of Jesus. He paid our price. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And salvation. He talks about salvation here. We've been saved. Romans 2. 1013, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we have salvation from the consequences of our sins and wholeness in him. We experience the mercy of promise in verse 72 and the tender mercy of God, verse 78. Rather than the justice that we deserve because of our sinfulness, because the wages of sin is death. Rather, God is tenderly mercy toward us. And then we have Fearlessness. We read in verse 74 that in this world, in your office, where you work, in school, that you might serve Christ fearlessly because we never have to be afraid in him. And forgiveness of sins. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. He gives us light. In the midst of hopelessness, as you are enveloped in seemingly dark circumstances, walking in hopelessness on the trial trail, he gives you light. Because in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then peace. He gives us peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1, and we can experience the peace of God, which does what, church? It transcends, it passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's amazing. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. All this, God's Son, Jesus the Messiah, does for those who believe in him. Are you walking in darkness today? Are you experiencing in some area of your life hopelessness? I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because in Jesus you have a living hope because Jesus hope. Look to him, trust him, put your faith in him. No matter what happens, he has a plan, he has a purpose, he loves you, he cares for you. Walk hand in hand with the one who provides a living hope. We're going to sing a song and gonna have the opportunity to to praise the Lord and to pray. And I just wanna encourage you this morning, whatever it is that's waiting you down in hopelessness, would you just give it to the Lord? Would you just surrender it to him and say, I can't make it happen. I don't know what's gonna, how this is all going to turn out. Everything seems uncertain. But whatever it is, my hope is not in the circumstances. My hope is not in how it will turn out. My hope, Jesus is in you, and you are the anchor of my soul. Would you do that this morning? I want to ask you to please stand, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to sing. And if you have a decision to make, you can come and kneel at the altar and pray. Uh, After the service, you can uh, tap on Frank or or me or Jared or Tyler, and, uh, you know, we can visit with you about a decision perhaps God is laying on your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Oh, God, you provide us living hope. Thank you so much. Hope beyond the circumstances. Light in darkness. Peace in turmoil. Hope beyond this world. Fill our souls, our bosoms with your spirit. That whatever people may be facing today, they would feel hope alive Because their hope is in you, the living Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Our Savior and our God. And God's people said, Amen.